just a real joy to be with you uh, today. Thank you so much for the invitation because it gave me an opportunity of looking at some scriptures that I found very helpful and challenging, and I hope that you find them helpful and challenging too. I'd like to read together the first five verses from 1 Peter chapter 5. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses. And the heading in my Bible is to elders and young men, though it applies to everybody, of course. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we pray that the Lord will add his blessing to the public reading of his word. I don't know if you've ever come across uh, a man called Arthur Schopenhauer. Arthur Schopenhauer was Germany's, one of Germany's foremost philosophers. And one evening he was sitting, according to the research that I've done, in the Tiergarten in Frankfurt, a park. And it was in the evening time. And uh, the park keeper was doing his rounds and he came across Schopenhauer sitting on a bench and I don't know about you, but I think he looks pretty miserable. Anyway, he looked at Schopenhauer and he said, who are you? And Schopenhauer slowly raised his head and looked sadly at the official and said, I wish to God I knew. Now here was a man who'd spent much of his adult life uh, wrestling with the problems of the universe and of man's existence on earth, but he had absolutely no clear idea of his own identity. And sometimes Christians don't have a real clear idea of their identity. We look around and we think, oh, well, that person drives a smart car and obviously has a big wallet and a bank account, so they must be somebody. But that's the wrong way to look at people. We are as tall, and I have to say this, I'm misquoting this, we are as tall before God and people as we are when we're on our knees. It's our identity is found in Christ and not in what we do. So I was very encouraged by your series, Who is the Church? And of course, you are the church because the church is people. The church is who we are and not where we go. So you are the church. Well, I was asked to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we are reminded that God has chosen to describe his people as sheep. And I was brought up in the country. We we had a few acres. We didn't farm them ourselves. We rented them out. And the farmer 
At different times, kept cattle on the land, and sometimes he kept sheep. And the one thing I learned about sheep as I was growing up is that they're absolutely stupid. They are stupid animals, and they always get themselves into bother of one kind or another. Uh, And they need help to get out of bother. In fact, sheep, when they see a fence, they will want to get to the other side of the fence because the sheep always thinks that the grass is greener on the other side. And I don't know if you have ever heard that if a sheep becomes cast, in other words, if a sheep rolls over on its back, it's incapable of standing up, of getting up. So it needs to be helped up. Sheep are really stupid. Uh, And, uh, well, sheep are vulnerable too. I remember one day I was out walking along a very large bank, a very steep bank, quite a high bank, and I came across a sheep that was stuck in some briars. And, of course, I, I... needed to set it free. So as I moved towards the sheep, it was aware of my coming, so it struggled to get away from me, and it got deeper into the briars, as you can imagine. Well, I happened to have a a knife on me, so I managed to cut the briars, and I got it out, uh, uh, and I turned it away from the briars. I let it go, and it was so anxious to get get away from me, it ran straight into another patch of briars. (laughs) So I had to cut it out a second time, and I was a little bit more careful where I pointed it on that second occasion. Sheep are very stupid, and they're vulnerable. They're often chased by dogs. And yet, if the sheep had the sense to stay together as a flock, they wouldn't feel intimidated. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 25, Peter writes, and he says, You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we find an echo here of Isaiah 53, which says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and we know that very well. There is, however, good news for all of us. Because if people are like sheep, then Christians or believers are sheep in God's flock. And the Lord Jesus is the shepherd. We read in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That's interesting. Jesus is the shepherd. The church is the flock. But Peter says something interesting. He says when the sheep chief shepherd appears in verse 4. Now the word Chief is interesting, because surely you only have chief if you have more than one shepherd. Is that right? That makes sense to you, doesn't it? Jesus is the chief shepherd. So that means there must be other, what we might call, under-shepherds. And in truth, under-shepherds are just sheep dressed up as shepherds. Must be under-shepherds. Now, God's people need to have adequate spiritual leadership. That's why Peter writes this special letter to church leaders. And if you look at the very start of the book, he's writing to the churches that are scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to a whole lot of different churches about spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership. He is writing this letter to the leaders to encourage them to be faithful. Now, we know that 
Shepherds who run away when confronted by difficulties are not the kind of elders or shepherds that God wants for his flock. Look at verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock, uh, that is, under your care. Now, what's very interesting is, is this, that the elders were appointed. The elders were appointed. And if you look in Acts 4.23, you read that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So Paul and Barnabas appointed, some versions say they ordained elders. But what you mightn't understand is that the Greek word means to appoint by the raising of hands to appoint by the raising of hands. So that means that elders were appointed by by the congregations under the leadership of Paul and Barnabas. And in chapter 4, this is some technical stuff that we're going to get out of the way before we get into the practical stuff. In chapter 4, Peter deals with a coming judgment. And he says, for it is time for judgment to, to begin with God's household, with God's flock. Right? Now, in Ezekiel chapter 9, a season of God's judgment is pronounced on God's people. And and see where it begins. So they began with the elders who were brought before the temple. So the elders, or the under-shepherds, they have a hugely serious responsibility. And they're going to be held to account uh, in ways that the rest of us won't be. So we really need to pray for them because their job is very difficult. So now let's just get practical and let's focus on the text and make some observations. The first thing we note is that this teaches us, these verses teach us about the elder's role. So Peter writes to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care. Well, what does it mean to shepherd the flock? And this is something that we will all need to know in case, one, we are elders, or two, in case we're put in the position of having to choose elders. What does it mean to shepherd the flock? Well, uh, it's very important that we understand this for the spiritual health and direction of the flock of the church. So let me give you an, an, a slightly uh, oblique take on this. Have you ever been out looking for an engagement ring or looked in a jeweler's window? Have you noticed the way in which they di- display jewelry in, in jeweler's windows? They tend to display the diamonds against either a black velvet background or a blue velvet background under really b- bright lights. Now, why do they do that? because it makes the diamonds sparkle and shine and hopes, hope, the jeweler hopes that it'll make them more attractive. So the contrast is really helpful. Now, when it comes to thinking about eldership, it's, it's, it's interesting that we can look at the contrast. We don't have to just think about what elders are. We can look at what elders aren't. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel describes... Uh, in some detail, the, the bad shepherds of Israel. Think about their character, first of all. 
Ezekiel describes these elders, these shepherds, as dreadful shepherds. He has a vision, and in this vision, he knocks a hole through a wall so he could see into the house of God. And what does he see? He said to me, this is in the vision, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? We've just had a children's talk about light. Have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. They were not men of good character. And an elder is required to be a man of good character. Think about their calling. Again, Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. That's a pretty dreadful summary of these elders in Israel, isn't it? Faithful elders will be men of godly character. They will... Be in the dark what they profess to be in the light. You see, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one's watching. They won't be selfish. They'll look after the weak and the sick and the injured, and they'll go hunting looking for the lost. Their lives will be marked by a gentleness and grace, and they will feed the sheep. Do you remember... When Peter, having sinned by denying the Lord three times, you remember what he did? He went back fishing, but he wasn't confident enough to go on his own, so he brought some of his friends with him, and they fished all night and caught nothing. And do you remember in John 21, Jesus was on the shore, and uh, he shouted out to them, let down your nets. And they said, we fished all night and caught nothing. Let down your nets, and they let down their nets. And the nets were filled with fish. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. So Peter hops out of the boat and he goes to the shore. And he finds on the shore that Jesus has a fire lit and he's cooked them breakfast. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus would know that they were cold and they were hungry because they'd fished all night. So he actually cooked them breakfast. And no doubt Peter's approach to the pastors that he's writing to, the shepherds that he's writing to, was greatly influenced by the shepherding that he received from the shepherd. Well, remember what happened. Jesus said, do you love me? He asked him three times, and each time Jesus gave a different answer. He said, feed my lambs. Then he said, feed my sheep. And then he said, shepherd my sheep or take care of the flock. And one of the mistakes that's made in some churches is that we do not differentiate between feeding the lambs and feeding the sheep. And if you're a shepherd, and you have a lamb, and the lamb's mother, the ewe, has died, 
What you do is you pick up the lamb, you stick it under your arm, and you get a bottle of milk substitute, and you shove it in the lamb's mouth, and you feed the lamb. But you know, you can't do that to a a great big woolly sheep. They're too big to lift up. So we have to treat them differently. And yet some churches don't do that. But it's the under-shepherd's responsibility to ensure that the sheep are fed. That's the elder's role. So the elder's role, it involves their character, it involves their understanding of their calling, and then it involves them emulating the chief shepherd. Again, Ezekiel, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and will gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. So the shepherds are to emulate or imitate the, the chief shepherd. That's what, why Jesus is called the chief shepherd by Peter. And Peter must have been tremendously encouraged as he wrote this, um, this epistle because he would have looked back uh, and remembered the day when he felt least qualified to lead and the Lord restored him. Now, God continues to raise up men to be under shepherds, caring for the flock, and how important it is that these elders model godly characters, protecting the flock through selfless service, expressing a love for Christ by loving the people that God loves, loving the people that God loves, even the ugly ones and the intemperate ones, and the angular ones, and the prickly ones. That's how we show our love for Jesus, by loving those he loves. So there you have the elder's role. And that brings us on to the elder's readiness, because Peter says, watching over them, that's the the flock, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter, in these words, identifies three dangers. The first one is a sense of duty rather than a sense of devotion. And sometimes the only thing that keeps us going is a sense of duty. But we really ought to be doing what we do out of a sense of devotion. Men who serve only from a sense of duty often lack the love that God's people need to flourish. Biblical elders do the right thing even when it's inconvenient. Loving the unlovely can be challenging, but it's what God would have the under-shepherds, the elders, do. And then the second danger is not greedy, but eager, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Today, as in Peter's day, there are preachers and teachers whose aim, it seems to me, is financial gain. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the guys on the God Channel. 
Uh, some of them may be very good. I don't know. I've only watched it once or twice and then not for very long. But I did come across uh, one many years ago or heard of a situation when I was at college that this man on the uh, sent, sent a letter out to all of the folks who followed his program. And he said that um, he, he was praying to God, Lord, how can I help these folks so that their giving will be more personal? And as I was praying, my hand was resting on the photocopier. And the Lord seemed to set the photocopier to work, so it took a photocopy of my hand. And God was telling me that I've got to send you a photocopy of my hand so that you can place your gift right into my hand. Do you know, that makes me laugh a little bit, but then it makes me weep. Because that is so far from where God wants us to be. Paul tells us when he writes to Timothy that an elder must not be a a lover of money. But he says that's a danger because, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. You've heard the expression social climbing, haven't you? Yeah? Well, you know what the Christian equivalent is? It's ecclesiastical mountaineering. It's folks who like to climb up front because they like to be visible. Seeking the spotlight. Elders must be eager to teach, ready to make the most of whatever opportunities come their way, and eager to serve. So they work from devotion rather than duty. They're eager and not greedy. And then they very consciously seek to model Christ and his leadership, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. It has been observed that power corrupts. And I suppose most of us will have been through customs at some stage or, or going into a shop uh, and there's a little person at the door who's full of their own self-importance and they like to uh, stand back a bit, you know, uh, put your mask up on right, or, 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 or they like just to exercise their authority. And elders are not like that. Elders are not like that. Elders serve the church because they understand that it's never to be the other way around. They serve the church. And Jesus is our example. And what do we learn from Jesus? Well, the key verse of Mark's gospel is Mark ten forty-five: The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he, he is the example. He is the example. So you have the elder's role, you have the elder's readiness, and then you have the elder's reward. To say that elders are not to be motivated by duty, greed, or the prospect of a little authority doesn't mean to say that an incentive doesn't exist. It doesn't mean to say that an incentive doesn't exist. That's a, a double negative, which means a reinforced positive. So there is an incentive. And Peter talks about it in verse 5. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So uh, elders do work for a reward. But when are they going to get that reward? When the chief shepherd appears. The prize comes in the next life. Not in this one, but what a reward it will be. I don't know about you, but I kind of like some of the older hymns. I like some of the newer ones as well, but 
Some of the older ones are very beautiful. Do you know that one, love divine, all loves excelling? Joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. And I think it's the fourth verse says, finish then thy new creation, true and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Do you know there are five crowns in the New Testament? Five crowns. And I just like to think about what it will be in a coming day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Beamer, and we look at him and we see the beauty of his face and all of the questions that dogged us all through our Christian days will just vanish because they'll be so unimportant and so insignificant. We'll look at him. We'll see the beauty of his face. We'll see perhaps a little smile. And we're going to be so captivated by what we see that we will just want to worship him. And how wonderful it will be to receive a crown. The only, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we are saved. But when we get to be with him, he may very well present us with a crown or two or three, or maybe some of you will even get four or five. What will it be to take that crown and to lay it at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship? Oh, the elder's reward is wonderful, isn't it? Well, we've talked a lot about elders, but Peter moves on, and he talks about the rest of us. If elders have this huge responsibility, what's the responsibility that we have, the rest of us? Well, he tells us in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Peter is turning his attention to everyone else and we need to know how to conduct ourselves. Humility and submission were consistent marks of Jesus' character. And if we follow him, humility and submission will be marks of our characters too. If any young man ever had the right to put himself above his elders, it was Jesus. And yet he never did. He waited on the Father's timing, didn't he? And there's a very interesting expression there. It says, clothe yourselves with humility. Now, when you got up this morning, you went to probably your extensive wardrobe and you looked at all your clothes, and you go, what am I going to wear? Is it going to be Versace today? Or am I going to wear uh, my Levi's? Or whatever it is. But as you look to the wardrobe, you made choices as to what you were going to wear. Isn't that right? Well, Peter is saying to us, when you get up in the morning, make choices. Clothe yourselves. Put on humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor 
or grace to the humble. Humility involves having a realistic assessment of ourselves. Not thinking too highly of ourselves, and not very many Christians do that, but sometimes we think too lowly of ourselves. We wonder, how could God love somebody like me? I mean, oh, if you knew what went on in my mind some of the time, you'd never invite me into your pulpit. And I know that if we had little multicolored television screens inset into our foreheads, which relayed all that was going on through our minds, we'd all have fringes, wouldn't we? Or we'd go and buy one if we didn't have one, because we wouldn't want folks to see. But God sees and knows all the things that go on in our minds. And if we think lowly of ourselves, we need to understand that the psalmist says that God has delivered you because he has delighted in you. Now, I don't know about you, but not very many people delight upon me, maybe my wife on a good day, but maybe my grandkids some of the time. But God delights in us. He has delivered us because he has delighted in us. So it's important we don't think too highly of ourselves, but it's equally important that we don't think too lowly of ourselves. Humility is the result of rejected pride. Remember, it was pride that turned angels into devils. Isn't that right? It was pride that turned angels into into devils. It's no wonder that Peter quotes the scriptures and he says, God opposes the proud but gives favor or grace to the humble. And the word opposes there is a really interesting word. It's the word used to describe a general who marshals his army for battle. He gets them ready, lines them up to face the enemy. That's the word that's used here. So God opposes the proud. Some wise person said, swallowing pride seldom leads to indigestion and it's never fattening for those who are conscious of those things. There you have it. Who is the church? Well, the church is God's flock. There's one other thing I would say with the benefit of 40 years in ministry. Let me make this observation just in closing. The shepherd over here uses dogs to to shepherd the flock, to drive the flock. And he usually has a staff of some kind just to drive them, to make sure that they go where they're supposed to go. Maybe you've seen one man and his dog on the uh, television where the the shepherds uh, display their sheepdog skills in chasing the sheep around the field and putting them into a pen navigating various obstacles. Well, the shepherd, uh, shepherds in this part of the world need to have dogs in order to uh, drive the sheep where they want them to go. But the shepherds in the Middle East, they don't use dogs and they didn't drive the sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd because they know the shepherd and they trust the shepherd. That's really wraps up the caliber quality of an elder that folks will follow because they know and trust. And to the elders, I say, 
If nobody's following you, you're just a guy out for a walk. You're just a guy out for a walk. This is the biblical model, the pattern that Peter is teaching us. But the writer to Hebrews says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So there's a big responsibility on the eldership, isn't there? But there's an equally big responsibility on those of us who follow. Pray that the Lord would give us grace that whether we're elders or followers, that we might know what it is to be humble and to submit to the Word of God. That the Word of God might be, if you like, the church handbook. That we might be the people God has called us to be. That he might use us in a marvelous way that his Holy Spirit would come and that the fragrance of Christ would just not be contained in this building, but that it would waft out into the community and that those around might take note that we have been with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for the Lord Jesus and for all that you have done. We thank you that you haven't brought us into your flock just to abandon us, to leave us. But we thank you that the flock moves from pasture to pasture, that we might enjoy the best of the food. And, and we pray, Father, for this flock here, that first of all, that you would pour out your richest blessings upon those in leadership. That they might know the Spirit ministering to their hearts day by day. That they might be encouraged, O oh Lord, as they seek to exercise their ministry as an active devotion to you. We do know that leadership is challenging because leadership involves people. And sometimes we don't handle others very well and neither do we handle ourselves very well. But Lord, we pray, Father, for the eldership, the leadership in this church, that you would have your way in every issue, every point that comes up for discussion, that it might be submitted to you, O Lord, and that your leadership would be really clear and that your people would be really encouraged. And we pray, Father, for the church family, the flock, that you would give them the ability to really trust the under-shepherds that you have brought into these positions. We know, O oh Lord, that they are only sheep dressed up as under-shepherds, so that they really need our prayers and our love. And we pray that you would help the church family, that there might be just a marvelous atmosphere of, of love and generosity and, and grace in the church family. 
and that there, there might be absolute unity of heart in seeking your will and your mind for the days to come. So, Lord, would you continue with us? We ask it in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.